Merry Christmas in July, everybody. Anybody know? Today is July 25th, only five months away from Christmas. So the sales are already starting, the decorations are already out in the, uh, in the stores. It might be a little bit cooler then, uh, although I did hear some people say, oh, I wish Christmas was in July. It's so much warmer. Uh, of course, you know, again, we have the, the Christmas, uh, you know, decorations and things like that up. And again, uh, Marion, thank you so much for getting all of this stuff up. And uh, Josh and Renee, thanks for helping get the Christmas tree. We had a hard time with the Christmas tree. Uh, but how many of your families have a favorite memory about Christmas? Anybody have favorite memories about Christmas? Some of us remember the smells around the house. They start, my mom used to start right around December 1st, right after Thanksgiving. We used to have those cinnamon pine cones. You know those, the, she would just, she would cook everywhere and you just walk through the house. It's a cinnamon smell. Uh, she would bake cookies and she would bake pie. And of course, my dad would spray the artificial tree with the pine cone scent so that, you know, we had the, the real smelling tree. And some of us have favorite memories about the sights of Christmas, my dad would drive us around. How many of you drove around looking at Christmas lights? Before they created these like big parks, right, where you have to pay $25 a car to go, you just go and you drive through the neighborhood. Oh, Mr. Johnson's lights really look good this year. And we would he would drive us around like the whole last week before Christmas every night. We'd just go around. And of course he would decorate the house and we had some cheesy decorations and we had some nice decorations and uh, when he decorated, uh, he was, I, I was convinced, just working on things to ask forgiveness for on Sunday. Uh, because some of the strings of words that came out of his mouth, especially when he was trying to get lights to work, uh, were, were definitely uh, forgivable offenses. And of course, some of us have those fond memories of the Christmas presents. Right? Christmas presents for, for a long time when I was like nine. Until probably until I was nine or ten. My parents would hide all of the presents, right? They'd just find some place to hide them until Christmas Eve night after we went to bed. My headset. My headset. Oh, look at that. Now I have to start all over. Well, Merry Christmas in July, everybody. <laughs> My apologies for those uh, who are at home. And once again, uh, Tori, we really want you to come back. So. Uh, but yeah, my dad would, my dad and mama, they would hide all the presents. And of course, we'd try to find them. We could never find them because my dad would hide them really well. And then they would take them all out after we went to bed. But uh, some of these things had to be assembled. How many of you have ever built a bike? After an entire full day of the kids being home on Christmas vacation for the first day, running around hopped up on sugar and cookies and all that kind of stuff, waiting for Santa to arrive, and then you wait until like 11 o'clock at night when you know they're finally asleep before you start building a bike. Again, my father found some forgivable things to do on Sunday. <laughs> And of course, we'd come bounding out of our rooms after my father had been up until three in the morning putting together whatever it was that he wanted to put together. And we'd come bounding out of our rooms at like five o'clock in the morning. And we'd start shouting and running in and jumping on the bed and say, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. And my father never looked happy on Christmas morning. And I, I never understood that. Memories though, right? How many of you have some of those memories? Yeah. As I look back over my, and I've had 51 Christmases now coming up on my 52nd Christmas, I remember some of the gifts 
that I've gotten. I've gotten some great gifts, um, and at almost 52 years old, I can't remember what most of them are. Um, but I remember they were good gifts. And I remember that they were given to me by people who knew me and loved me. They knew the things that I would like. They knew the things I would enjoy to get as a gift. And they gave me those gifts because they loved me. Now, I know you probably agree with all of this, and you're thinking about your memories of Christmas, but what does this have to do with uh, Christmas in July? Why are we even talking about this? Well, I'm glad you've asked. Because we're not really talking about Christmas gifts this morning. We're not really talking about Christmas as the holiday that we celebrate in December, but we are talking about the coming of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever given to us in the history of the world. God gives really good gifts. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. God gives us good gifts because he knows us. Psalm 139, 1-3 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows us. And God gives good gifts to us because he loves us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gives good gifts because even though humanity rebelled against him, even though we turned our backs on him and said, we don't want you anymore, God loves us. God knows us. He is our Father. And ultimately, what God wants for us is for us to spend eternity with him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good gift. And it's eternal. When we give gifts, they certainly aren't eternal. They don't last for a long time. I've gotten gifts, Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, graduation gifts, wedding gifts, all of those kinds of things. And... I know that probably most of those things are either in a landfill now or are sitting in somebody's house because I sold them at a yard sale for a buck fifty. Right? Because that's what we do. We, we, we outlive our gifts. Jesus Christ came to provide God's gift that would never wear out, that we would never tire of. He came to give us eternal life. And there is an encounter that Jesus had in John chapter 4. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Jesus had recently been visited by this Pharisee, Nicodemus, in the middle of the night because Nicodemus didn't want to be seen with Jesus because the Pharisees didn't really like him all that much. But he had just finished meeting with him. And Jesus, during that meeting, told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He told Nicodemus about this gift. But then he learned that a bunch of the Pharisees were, were looking for him. And they were looking for him because a lot of people started following him. 
And one of the things that we think of is, well, the Pharisees didn't really like people following other people because that could cause trouble. That could cause rebellion. That could cause revolution. And they wanted to make sure that their place in the Roman government was secure. They didn't want war. They wanted peace. They wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. So they were after Jesus. They were looking for Jesus right from the beginning of his ministry. And John 4, chapter 4 to 6, we start to read, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, it's no accident that the writer says that he had to pass through Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans, those who lived in Samaria, hated each other. And this was a hate that had developed over at least a thousand years, if not more. And we're going to see what some of that hatred is about uh, in just a little bit later in John 4. But we continue. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now we see here that Samaria was a place where Jacob and Joseph had both lived. Samaria was part of the country of Israel. Jacob was later called Israel. And it was through him that the nation of Israel came into existence. So we see Jesus sitting right smack dab in the middle of this place that God had promised to his people. Samaria. And yet we see that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Jesus is sitting at Jacob's well, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I want to point something out here, and, and I really want you to pay attention to this. This woman had no business talking to Jesus that way in that culture. This woman probably shouldn't have talked to Jesus at all, probably should have just given him what he wanted and went away. This woman was bold. This woman wasn't taking anything off of this Jew. You know we don't like each other. I hate you. You hate me. Why are you asking me for anything? Well, Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, hold on. Just for a second. I am not your enemy. I am not your enemy, woman. In fact, I have a gift for you. Remember when we said we usually give gifts to the people that we know and the people that we love? Well, Jesus has a gift for this woman. How is it that he would offer this gift? A little back and forth, they went talked about this living water that, uh, that Jesus was offering. And then Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. 
and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So wait a minute. Did Jesus know this woman? They had never had a, any kind of a, an in-person, face-to-face exchange, but Jesus, it appears, knows this woman. This woman didn't deny anything. This woman didn't say, no, you're wrong. This woman said, yeah, five. All of them horrible, Jesus. No, I don't know what she said. She said, I perceive that you are a prophet. We give good gifts to the people we know. And Jesus proves that he knows this woman. He knows about her life. He knows what has happened to her. And the woman admits it, and she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And this is an incredible statement. If we read through this and we really are, are just willing to spend some time, this is such a, an incredible statement. She doesn't ask Jesus, how do you know these things? She doesn't say, who have you been talking to, mister? She says, you're right. Everything that you just said was true. And instead of being all timid and shy, she just says, I perceive that you are a prophet. She stands face to face with Jesus and declares in faith that she knows at least what he is, if not yet who he is. And we read on in John 4.20, the woman says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She is not backing down, folks. This is not a shy woman. And she points out to Jesus, and this is the main crux of the conflict that the Jews had with the Samaritans, at least in the time of Jesus. And probably years and years before, it all started politically and then it turned into religious kind of stuff. And we all know how that goes. But she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you say that we have to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship. And what she said is true. Just before Moses died, and the people of Israel crossed over the Jordan River to claim the land that God had promised. Moses split the 12 tribes in half. He took six tribes, put them over here. He took six tribes, put them over here. Now these six tribes over here he put on a mountain called Mount Gerizim. And the other ones he put on Mount Ebal. Mount Gerizim, big valley, Mount Ebal, all in Samaria. All in Samaria. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27, 4 to 7, we read, You shall set up these stones concerning which I commanded you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God on altars of, an altar of stone. You shall wield no iron. 
tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord God of uncut stones. Uncut stones were the way that God always expected altars to him to be built. You could not work a stone. They had to be built from uncut stones. And you shall burn burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God there. We worship here is what the woman said. This is where Moses had us worship. And of course, we think, well, yeah, that was in Deuteronomy, but then, you know, you read through the rest of the Old Testament and God sets up the temple in Jerusalem and he does all of this, but the thing that most people don't know, and I didn't really know until I started studying this, is that the Samaritans only believe that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are the actual word of God. Everything after Deuteronomy, yes, they, they believe that it happened. Yes, they believe that God worked and did things. But they believe that God's word, God's commandments, God's requirements stop at the end of Deuteronomy. And the last thing that Israel heard before the end of Deuteronomy was set up an altar and rejoice to the Lord here. That's the last that they believed was the Word of God. You didn't know you were going to get history and geography all in one uh, sermon this morning, did you? <laughs> so the woman points out this religious difference between the Jews and Samaritans, this religious difference that causes them to hate one another. I have absolutely no clue what that would be like today. But it is becoming very, very clear that this woman is a woman of strong faith. She worships God regularly. And we go on in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. Where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Geography doesn't matter anymore. Where you live doesn't matter anymore. When you worship God, you are the temple. And this is where Jesus reveals the ultimate truth about the gift that he is offering to the Samaritan woman. It doesn't matter where you worship. It matters that you worship. It doesn't matter where you believe. It matters that you believe. It doesn't matter which church you worship in. It matters that you worship the one Father. Forget Jerusalem. Forget Israel. Forget Morning Hour Chapel. Well, don't forget Morning Hour Chapel. We love having you here. 
But we come together and we worship the one true Father in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do that here and we can do that anywhere. Even while on vacation, we can do that. And the woman responds again in strong faith. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Don't ever let anybody tell you that Jesus never said anything about being the Messiah. Because it's right there. John chapter 4, verse 26. Memorize it. I who speak to you am he. Jesus offers the good gift of the gospel to this woman because he knows her, because he loves her. Imagine yourself in this scene. Imagine yourself there with just kind of watching. There's nobody else around. It's just Jesus and this woman having a conversation about water and religion and Messiah. Most anybody else that gets together has conflict talking about these things. It doesn't end well. Jesus gives her the greatest gift she would ever receive. I offer you a drink of living water that will let you live forever. You will never be thirsty again. The funny thing about gifts, I can buy you the perfect gift. I can know you so well, I can love you so much that I can buy just exactly the thing that you need, exactly the thing that you want. I can put it in a box. I can wrap it in pretty paper. I can tie bows on it. I can write a little cute uh, Christmas tag or gift tag on it, give you a card. I can do all of those things. And this is my gift to you. But unless you receive the gift, it's meaningless. That's the thing about gifts. You have to decide that this person knows you and loves you and is giving you a good gift. And you have to receive it and you have to open it. This woman has to make a decision. Is she going to accept this gift? Is she going to believe this man who asked her for a drink of water, will she be the fulfillment of John 3.16? Will she be a whoever believes in him? We read the woman's response in John chapter 4, starting in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She dropped everything. And she carried this gift into the city. And she said, look, this man just gave me this gift. He told me everything that I, that I have ever done. And he has offered me this living water. 
He could be the Christ. The one we've been waiting for for a thousand years. The woman believes Jesus and she accepts the gift. But there's one more thing that happens here in this passage. The woman doesn't just keep the gift to herself. The woman runs and shows it to everybody. She goes into her community and shares the gospel that Jesus had just given her. In verse 39, we read, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. It didn't stop there, though. The gift kept on giving and kept on giving. And in verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. A Jew in Samaria for two days? That's unheard of. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is indeed the Savior of the world. Thank you for introducing us. And we believed you when you said, and, and he told you the, and all of it, but now we've heard it for ourselves. And now we believe. Now we accept that gift. Jesus offers this gift to us. And many of us in this room today, many of us who are watching, we have accepted that gift. We have received that gift. God's free gift of grace, forgiveness, and eternal life. But we should not, we must not keep that gift for ourselves. We must not hold on to it tightly and never show anybody, never tell anybody about it. We need to share this gift with everyone that we come into contact with. Because guess what? We are commanded to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And God loves our neighbors as he loves us. He wants us to share this gift. We have stories about the things that Jesus has done in us and through us. And we need to share those stories with others. We must echo the words of the Holy Spirit in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Now, a lot of people read this passage and think this is about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus. They read the Spirit and the bride say, come. Jesus is not the bride. Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. The church is the bride. And it is the church who should be inviting people to come. 
receive this living water without price. God has a gift for you. Come and receive it. Church, we ought to be inviting the thirsty. We ought to be inviting those who don't yet know God. We ought to be saying, come drink the water of life, the water that is Jesus Christ. And we know who the thirsty are. And if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we love the thirsty. We love those who don't yet know God because we know that God wants them back. Let us share the gift of grace, the gift of forgiveness with all those who we know and love. Let us point people to the cross of Jesus Christ so that they might drink the living water. They might know forgiveness. And they might experience eternal life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the living water. We thank you that you have given it to us at no cost. That anyone who believes in your Son, Jesus Christ, can drink of that water and know grace and mercy and forgiveness and eternal life. Father, I pray that you would send down a spirit of boldness to every person hearing this message today, every person sitting in a church across the world worshiping you today. Send us a spirit of boldness that we might not be afraid, that we might love the world as you love the world that we might share this gift and point people to the cross of Christ so that they might know salvation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you speak of Jesus, do you speak in joy? When you speak of Jesus, do you remember where he brought you from, what he has brought you to. He has given you a story, a journey to tell. Tell others about Jesus and do it with unspeakable joy. God bless you this week.